There's a lot of buzz around machine learning, with a ton of products purporting to apply it to your e-commerce experience. But what does it actually mean, and how is it used? We'll unpack that today. Welcome to the very first episode of Skewed, where we are demystifying digital commerce. Today on Skewed, we're talking all things machine learning. We're breaking down what the subject actually entails, as well as its relationship in the vast area of artificial intelligence, as well as data science. Then we dive into different applications of machine learning across the tech industry, including considerations and pitfalls that companies can encounter through their machine learning algorithms. Finally, we discuss the areas that ML can have within e-commerce and how companies can better incorporate the technology into their business. Today on the show, we have a couple of machine learning experts, Zach McMahon and Harry Thacker. They're both co-founders of Avatria Convert, where Zach is the engineering lead and Harry is the product owner. I think they're going to be able to provide a lot of insight into machine learning and how it's applied to the tech industry, as well as specifically applied to e-commerce. So thanks, uh, Zach and Harry, for talking to us about machine learning today. We just wanted to kind of have a conversation around how how machine learning can be integrated into e-commerce and some of the work that you guys are doing. So, so Zach, give us kind of an overview. What is artificial intelligence? What is machine learning? I know data science is in there as well. So let's just start with the high level. Explain to listeners what artificial intelligence is. Sure. Artificial intelligence is a, is a field primarily in computer science. It's been around since the 50s. Its primary goal is kind of an effort to have machines and computers be able to uh, solve intellectual tasks that typically humans would be solving. So it's kind of a, it's a large field, which includes things such as expert systems that can play games like chess or checkers to autonomous driving vehicles to things um, that, you know, are kind of more popular today around machine learning um, to solve various business problems. For most of the history of artificial intelligence, it's been kind of a what they call expert systems, which is kind of codifying rules that humans kind of come up with and creating programs based upon those rules and strategies that humans understand to actually solve problems, whether it be chess or whether it be uh, insurance fraud or insurance applications, things things along those areas. So uh, yeah, machine learning is sort of a, a subfield within artificial intelligence that's been become very kind of popular in the last 10, 15 years. Would you say that artificial intelligence, the goal of it is for a machine to make decisions in the way that a human might make those same decisions? Yeah, I think um, for the most part, we the, the goal of it is to build out systems that are able to do things that humans uh, understand how to do. Um, there is a field of general and, you know, kind of a, an effort for general intelligence to be able to do things that humans can't do um, to, as well as what they can do. But yeah, I think it's it's mostly around automating kind of the the, the tasks and the things that humans are able to do, but not quite as efficiently as, you know, a machine can do. And what what's the relationship yeah. between data science and machine learning? Yeah, um, data science is sort of a the cross-disciplinary field between mathematics, um, more specifically like statistics, computer science, and some type of business domain usually, um, whether it be like retail or insurance or whatever business domain. But it's taking knowledge of those different fields and uh, using it to analyze 
the data to either uh, answer business uh, questions that the business might have about their customers or to be able to kind of uh, use the data to solve business problems and perhaps to kind of simplify or automate business processes that they have. So generally, a data scientist will have a background in both mathematics and computer science. And there's different types of data scientists. Some of them might just be more of the analytic analysis and reporting of the data and get to give business insights. And some might be more toward, towards using data to applying uh, machine learning and and using data to actually automate or solve business problems. So one of the things that we hear a lot about, and you kind of hear it in the media, is you hear this term big data. What Can you define what big data is and how it plays into artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, et cetera? Machine learning is more focused on the idea of can we teach computers or you know build systems that are able to learn things that we uh, as humans aren't actually having to codify or tell the computer how to do. So the idea being that, you know, if you provide a computer and an out, if you have an algorithm that can look at enough data and maybe if it sees it, uh, if you feed it enough questions and answers, will that system be able to eventually be able to predict the right answers for questions that it hasn't seen? So big big data and is very important in machine learning. That's why it's become very popular in the last 10, 15 years because big data technologies have been became available. The internet obviously has made it a lot easier to collect large amounts of data. And then we can, you know, use the data to then basically use machine learning algorithms to analyze the data and with the idea of that hopefully we can, uh, those algorithms can learn underlying kind of phenomenon that's going on and to answer questions that we have. So machine learning is really about us not, it's really about having the computers solve problems that we ourselves don't understand or it's not really feasible for us to actually solve because it would be so uh, intensive. So usually it's statistical analyses of large amounts of data that that uh, kind of builds out these machine learning models. And then uh, you can then run new data that through these machine learning models to predict outcomes for the f- in the future. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about privacy and diversity concerns that machine learning can bring about. Yeah, sure. So, you know, like you said, this kind of breaks down into two general areas of, of concern. So one being the, the privacy side of things, you know, now with the introduction of the GDPR and CCPA, data privacy is obviously a, a big focus for for the public and, and for industries in general. So, you know, with machine learning and, and AI, the big focus being data, personally identifiable information or PII is something that can be used and is leveraged in a lot of these machine learning models and algorithms. So from a concern standpoint, you know, one of the big concerns is whether these companies or these these models are authorized to use this type of personally identifiable information in models and um, whether, you know, whether they have the right to actually access that information. So that's kind of the privacy side of it, I think. On the other side, when you when you think about diversity, um, you know, one of the big things that has come up is 
algorithms and models that have been developed by companies that have led to issues related to profiling, whether it's based on race or gender or other types of biases that may be introduced into the algorithms inadvertently. Uh, so a couple examples of this, um, you know, there was actually a year or two ago something that Amazon was working on that uh, was used to filter out resumes. You know, the goal of, the, of that algorithm was to find the best resumes in a stack of 100. But because of the way that the data was introduced and, and the, the model was set up, the algorithm was very skewed to effectively say any women that applied were automatically rejected. And so that was obviously a gender bias issue, you know, given that a lot of the data was from male applicants and all, a lot of the hires were male applicants that kind of biases was introduced and kind of inherent into their algorithm. So, you know, that's just one example of something that can happen from a diversity standpoint, especially now as we get into other applications of, of machine learning, when you talk about, you know, loan applications or insurance applications, any types of medical diagnoses that may be happening automatically. These are all areas where, you know, diversity and profiling is something that, you know, we have to be careful about. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting because I didn't expect bias to be a part of it, but you're in charge of what sort of data you're, you're feeding in for that, that algorithm to be formed. Right. So, so Zach, when, when building these models, when leveraging machine learning, how can you help avoid issues in that area? How do you ensure that you're, you're not allowing for bias as a part of that training set within the model that you're creating? Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, you have to look at your the, the data that you're feeding in will usually be based around human processes. So in the example, Harry is talking about, we're talking about recruiting processes and screening and hiring. And your data source there is, is coming from people. So the historical data that you're using to train these models is coming from people and what people subjectively provided as their feedback on candidates. So in that case, your, your data source has biases built in. So any your model um, is going to learn those biases in, in the people and in, in your recruiting process. So I think understanding what the problem is that you are trying to solve and understanding your data sources and analyzing them to figure out if, if there are biases in your existing processes that you're planning on using to build out the new process, well, it might not be a good application for at least machine learning, or you have to at least understand what those biases are and exclude them from the data in some type of way. Right. You could say that it's not only exacerbating existing biases in those human processes, but it may even be amplifying them because you're speeding up the, those processes. Um, so I think being cognizant of what the biases in the data that, as you mentioned, but also understanding how those how those can be eliminated is a super important part of of really all of this artificial intelligence machine learning big data etc we talked a little bit about how machine learning can be used uh, in a hiring environment um, but some of the other uh, industries that have used um, use machine learning and artificial intelligence um, you see a lot of it on on TV and in the news around facial recognition but also in some other other industries like manufacturing especially using the internet of things where you have these machines that are previously disconnected, but now they can be interconnected and talk to each other. And you can gain a lot of insights from that. 
Um, there's a lot of machine learning that's applied in banking and investing. There's uh, there's a number of investment firms around the financial crisis that were able to predict maybe not the entirety of it, but start to predict some of the some of the downfall of the economy and make investment decisions um, and banking decisions around that. And then also um, around economics, um, but definitely not to mention its application to e-commerce, which is really what we want to talk about today. So do you think you can talk, Zach, a little bit about the customer-facing um, applications of machine learning in e-commerce? Sure. Yeah, I think first off at you know at the kind of the top of the conversion funnel before you ever even arrive on a uh, e-commerce site uh, a lot of times there's going to be machine learning or artificial intelligence that's that's going to be responsible for get, getting you to that site so firms like Google and Microsoft um, with their search engines you know have been using and, and continue uh, to rely upon machine learning to personalize your your search results for you, as well as the advertisements that you see. So, you know, when there's when you're searching for something and uh, there's uh, potentially millions of results, those 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 uh, results will be personalized towards you and your interests and 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 what they believe is a good match for you. So, and any advertisements that you're seeing around the web are generally going to be personalized towards you and and your past behavior as well. So, before you even get to the site, there's been a lot of uh, you'll be interacting with a lot of kind of machine learning systems. And then once you're on the e-commerce site, more specifically, home pages, uh, welcome pages, um, will be generally heavily personalized to uh, show recommendations to you based upon products that you might have viewed in the past on that site or products that you've purchased on in the past on that site. Um, if you if you're actually viewing a product detail page, there generally will be customers also bought or related items on those pages that are all. Uh, using machine, generally going to be using machine learning to look at you and other customers and their behavior and what they uh, purchased or interacted with the different products that are, are more that you're more likely to interact with, given the products that you've uh, viewed in the past. Uh, search and navigation within e-commerce sites, similar to how Google and Microsoft with Bing um, uh, use machine learning to optimize those results lists at e-commerce sites are increasingly using machine learning within the search and navigation um, section of the site. This is really important for sites that have large catalogs where you might have hundreds or thousands of results for a given category or keyword phrase. The It's very, very important to get the top products to the top of the, uh, get the products that you're most likely to interact with uh, to the top of the result list because most customers aren't going to go to the second page of results. Yeah, so all across e-commerce sites, generally there's gonna be lots of different areas, primarily around product recommendations and personalization. And then if you do leave the site um, and uh, without a purchase, then generally there'll be email uh, marketing campaigns that the that will be personalized to you that companies will send out if they have your email address or you've subscribed to lists that will be personalized based upon what you've pur- purchased in the past and uh, what or what you've been viewing on their site recently. So um, kind of to bring it full so circle back around, email marketing is a popular area for it as well. 
it seems like a common thread in, in a lot of that is personalization as well as um, some product recommendation recommendations. So personalization obviously is using mostly customer data, whereas product recommendation is using a lot of product data. Can you speak a little bit to the different types of data and how um, that's uh, that kind of needs to be structured um, and stored in order to be used effectively in uh, in a machine learning application? Yeah. So there's I'd say there's primarily there's two different types of approaches for personalizing and 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 uh, providing product recommendations. One is to actually look at the items that people are viewing to keep track of the items that they're viewing and they're purchasing and to kind of look at across different groups of people and kind of look at look at what are the items, you know, if somebody views item X, what other the are there other items that people who purchase item X are also likely to purchase? And it's kind of a kind of a, a matrix where you're looking through for relationships between items. Um, so a lot of that will require you know tracking of what people are are seeing, what the products they are viewing, and what they're ultimately clicking, carting, checking out with it, or purchasing. And, and those are a lot of the types of, uh, so the data there is interaction data and it's keeping track of um, relationships and, and kind of building out these relationships to understand related products. So that's a lot of interaction data. And then the, there's also using that interaction data, you can also look at the product data itself and look at the attributes of the product, such as the price, the brand, materials that maybe the product might be made out of, things like that to actually try to understand what is it about a product that people uh, tend to like. Do people have certain affinities towards certain brands like Samsung or Apple or, or Levi's jeans or, or whatnot um, for those different types of products? Do they have certain affinities towards certain types of prices or materials? Are certain things trending lately? So in, in that case, you can use a lot of the interaction data, the historical data regarding how customers have interacted and purchased things in the past to try to learn what are the attributes of the product that are important to customers and then to use that information um, kind of real time while you're serving the results to prioritize those, those products that have the attributes that customers like. Yeah, and one of the things that I've seen at a lot of clients is um, there's sort of concerns around their data quality. It sounds like in order to apply machine learning effectively, apply artificial intelligence effectively, the data quality is super important, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think data quality, it's uh, like they say, junk in, junk out. If your data is no good, um, you're not going to get good results. So it, it is important to have good quality data. I'd say that if you are operating on scales where you have lots and lots of data, kind of a, it's a spectrum where the, the more data you have, you can get away with having more noise in your data. But for most businesses, having clean data is very important. And you obviously want to uh, make sure that it gets the cleanest data possible because you're going to get better results. So we talked a lot about the customer-facing applications of machine learning. But there's also maybe just as many, if not more, applications in more of the back office perspective. Um, Harry, do you think you can comment on some of those applications? Yeah, you know, a lot of the uh, back office applications tend to focus a lot on ways to either optimize existing processes or, or make 
processes that are just very inefficient, you know, more streamlined. So an, an example would be um, from a fraud standpoint, the traditional historical way fraud was managed and, and observed was by um, doing manual reviews and you get chargebacks and then you have to go follow up on those chargebacks and then you're kind of building blacklists of customers or contacts that are, are not um, credit worthy. And I think now that's shifted quite a bit where you can automate a lot of that fraud application and say, you know, the, the machine learning can look at large volumes of data sets, which reduces a lot of the manual review. Based on the data sets, there can be anomaly detection and kind of pattern analysis done as well. Um, and then ultimately the goal with those ML applications from a fraud standpoint are to try to more proactively identify features or attributes that can find any of those positives and prevent those orders from being placed in the, you know, in the first place. So that's kind of the fraud aspect. You know, the other piece that does come up related to kind of transactions are, is the pricing aspect. And so I think a, a question that kind of gets asked from that standpoint is, uh, you know, well, what is the actual optimal price to sell a product for? And a lot of that analysis and decision-making that had historically been done by hand can now, you know, be, be offloaded to machine learning as well. And so the, those algorithms can look at things like, you know, who is the customer? How much inventory do we have of this product? What do the co competitors charge for this specific product? What is the demand? And then, you know, you can even get more advanced and say, well, what's the time of day? What is the geography that I'm in? And, and base the price shown to the customer on those attributes, which again, historically that used to be all manual. So that has been another area of focus. And then related to pricing, I think, you know, there's kind of the shipping and fulfillment and logistics back office side of things. And so I think this is maybe a little bit more uh, common things we've probably heard about before, you know, especially when you think about um, the optimal routes by which to find uh, shipping shipping paths for, for anything that needs to be delivered or um, prediction in terms of inventory management. You know, so a lot of retailers specifically are always thinking about, you know, how much inventory do I need to keep in stock in the warehouse versus, you know, how I don't also I want to balance how much I have versus what the demand is and figuring out the right metrics there and how much to keep in stock has an impact on things like cash and cash reserves and what they end up doing from a clearance standpoint. So the whole prediction and optimization around inventory management um, is another big piece from a machine learning standpoint. Then you get into other back office types of initiatives where you talk about things like uh, review moderation or you know looking at other types of um, text analysis related to sentiment sentiment related to specific functions or, or you know um, products that you may need to consider from a back office merchandising standpoint in terms of you know if you need to modify product descriptions and things like that um, and so a lot of that gets into just that text analysis aspect of AI in general and how that impacts uh, the end and uh, display of those products on the site. Yeah, yeah. a really interesting area um, kind of within artificial intelligence is that natural language processing, which is um, something we probably take for granted because we see, read something and just understand it, whereas a machine uh, takes a much different approach 
to language. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that obviously, you know, like Zach mentioned a little bit, that comes up on the front end side as well when you're talking about search. And now natural language processing and e-commerce site searches is also a lot more common in terms of, you know, people are not searching for red dress. Maybe they're searching for a specific red dress under $50, and that's the search query. And so being able to parse that and, and have a better understanding of how that actually needs to be displayed to customers is becoming more common now, too. I guess a, a good follow-up to what Zach was saying earlier is the more data you have and the cleaner the data, the the better off you are on, on any of these sort of customer-facing or back-office operations that machine learning can help aid at. So I, I guess this is more of a broad question, but how can companies that maybe don't have their data set up, how can they ensure that they're they're still utilizing this this sort of technology and growing their e-commerce space within machine learning and then yeah let, let's start there yeah i think i mean one of the easiest ways to get going is i think and improve your your kind of just your your processes is around i i think the anomaly detection on on are there things that maybe are there changes in your your customer shopping behavior patterns or are there if you're rolling out new builds are there things maybe are there potentially ways for you to detect if you've introduced kind of uh regression issues or broken certain site parts of the site's functionality or whatnot so analytics platforms like google analytics adobe analytics provide a lot of good capabilities around um, anomaly detection and you can so if you've implemented these different types of analytic solutions to tag and monitor you know, certain behavior on your site, what pages people are viewing, what their carts and checkouts and have the whole kind of conversion funnel, you know, tracked. Well, uh, you can use these tools to, you know, alert you and, mo uh, and, uh, and notify you if behavior has kind of drastically changed over time, you know, and, and kind of falls outside of the boundaries that you'd expect. So I think using those type of analytical tools, you know, both for customer behavior, but then also in your DevOps and your, your systems uh, operations to actually monitor the infrastructure is an easy way to kind of get started because there's lots of tools available like that monitoring and, and analysis tools that kind of help with monitoring um, existing systems. It sounds like a lot of that is predicated on having a large enough sample size so that you can identify what is noise and what is the signal, right? Yeah, I mean, for, for sure there is a, a, a certain threshold that um, that you need to meet for these tools to really be usable. But I'd say if you're even a small business and you have, you know, several thousand customers shopping on your site in a given day, that, that would be enough data to be useful and to kind of use these type of systems. Yeah, I would agree. I would, I would say that, you know, whether companies or organizations realize it or not, they probably have more data than they think. And there's probably enough data there to at least get things started from a machine learning standpoint. And then, you know, the, the goal from there would just be to continue to improve what, they, what they've what they initiated. But um, there shouldn't be a major blocker to at least getting things kicked off. Yeah, it's interesting because we've, we've kind of talked about machine learning applications to pretty much every part of an e-commerce business, front end, back end, fulfillment, et cetera. Do you think that like those kind of big e-commerce giants that we think of, the Amazon, Walmart, et cetera, do you think that they are applying machine learning in kind of all of those different areas or are there 
specific areas where a lot of people have made a big investment in and other areas that aren't so mature in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely when you think of like an Amazon or a Walmart, you know, I think that they have definitely they have invested in pretty much all of these areas across the board. I mean, having said that, I do think that there has been a heavier focus on things like, you know, the back office inventory management and fulfillment aspects. And then from a front end standpoint, a lot of the personalization and recommendation sides of things. So there is still likely opportunity in in terms of some of the other things that we mentioned, whether it be, you know, optimizing pricing or looking at search results specifically. Um, I think that those are still more new from a machine learning standpoint than than some of the others that have historically been thought of initially from an ML capability standpoint. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to consider what's most useful for each individual business. So if it's B2C, maybe those those customer facing areas would be more valuable to apply that technology where maybe B2B, it makes sense more for fulfillment, logistics, price optimization based on uh, your B2B unit, whatever it may be. So I think there's it's an interesting use case of how it applies differently depending on uh, businesses' goals and their main uh, operation. It also really depends on the ROI there where you could conceivably get um, as big of an ROI by uh, reducing your operational expenses as you could by increasing your revenue for maybe a customer-facing application. Right. You, you can kind of start to see there's some efforts kind of going into this, but it's definitely not mainstream, is, is basically an understanding what type of content is important to your customers, you know, content enrichment around images, the the copy, and, uh, you know, how much review scores, things like that is something that companies spend a lot of money on. But uh, a lot of times uh, at this point, uh, many companies don't actually understand how important it is that content, you know, what is the return on investment for providing better product descriptions? Um, what is the return on investment for providing more high quality images? Um, and I think that's one area that probably the, the big guys, Amazon, Walmart have a very good understanding of, but at this point, there isn't, uh, there hasn't been a lot of tools and technologies to make that type of that type of analysis kind of available to smaller companies. The tools are out there, but it's mostly one of those things that would have to be kind of custom done for, for each business would have to kind of do by themselves at this point. So as we're talking about these applications of machine learning into e-commerce, I think a natural fork in the road sort of presents itself, where companies can take the route of building their own technology and applying that to their e-commerce experience, or they can go out and look for platforms that are specific to the things that they're trying to do. When we look at building that in-house, can you guys comment a little bit on the expertise that would be required to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you, like you said, like we've been talking about when, when we're thinking about things like data science and machine learning, because it can apply across the entire organization, there are there, there's a few different skill sets that I think you would need if you're thinking about forming a team to to handle this in house. So the first, obviously, being data scientists. Um, you know, you would need to have a team of data scientists available to make sure you're collecting the types of data that you need and, and analyzing it appropriately. That could potentially also bleed into some some more of the, the math or statistical type roles as well. But then in addition to that, you know, the data science team will need 
a, a group of engineers that are focused on working with those data scientists to put a lot of those, those theories and, and test a lot of those models out in practice. Um, and then the third piece, I would say just from a from like a team standpoint in terms of building that team out, you would also want to have subject matter experts. So people from the business, you know, whether they're in fulfillment and logistics or whether they're in merchandising or whether they're in, uh, you know, social media, anything else you're looking to do from an ML standpoint, you do also need to bring that business stakeholder to the table to ensure you're, you're going after the goals that are important to the business. So it sounds like unless you sort of already have that skill set in-house or at least the start of that, it can be pretty cost prohibitive to build that technology in-house. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 an investment for sure. And I would say that, you know, it, it I think given the way the industry is going and things are trending, I think the investment is is worth it. Um, but, you know, there are quite a few things you'd have to do to get that team up and running. The skills being one aspect of that, then you know you would have to establish that that practice in terms of the data science team, identify the objectives to go after, make sure you're collecting the right types of data, and then you know as we've been talking about, make sure that data is clean, it doesn't have any biases, um, and so all of those different aspects lead to a a broad time investment. Um, and so that is, if that's something that organizations want to do, they, I think they just have to recognize that it's not something that's going to be up and running in 90 days. It's something that they're going to have to continue to invest in to, uh, to improve over time. So what are ways for companies that maybe don't have the means to start a data science team from scratch, uh, but still want to incorporate a lot of the application and the benefits that they would get from those applications of machine learning into their e-commerce experience? Yeah, I think this is where, you know, this is where a lot of companies tend to fall unless you're kind of the Amazon, eBay, Walmart type type organization where they're interested in data science and machine learning. They want to start getting involved, but they, you know, they may not have a full team built out. And that is where I think there are a lot of uh, platforms and tools available that can kickstart that process quite a bit. So even if you only happen to have you know, one or two internal resources focused on data science, you can still look at applications that exist in the market and invest in something uh, that can help speed up your ability to, to invest in data science. And that way you can start to actually benefit and see results while continuing to build out that internal team um, and, and kind of get the best of both worlds from that standpoint. So this could be one of those things where it might be fairly straightforward to build a proof of concept that incorporates machine learning to solve whatever business problem you're trying to solve. Uh, but then as you get to scaling towards enterprise class and including incorporating different edge cases and fully integrating that into your e-commerce experience, um, a lot more challenges present themselves. Can you comment a little bit on how, you're, how you transition from a proof of concept to an enterprise class application? following an agile approach would be pretty important. One of the things that tends to happen is like you, you say, you, you might get a team of, of data scientists and folks in that are building a small scale prototype or proof of concept to try to solve a problem. And uh, they take that and don't think too much at you know how to actually implement it. Um, in a real world environment and production environment. So I think having a full team there where you're not just building out 
theoretical solutions, but trying to get those things into production kind of as, as quickly as possible and iteratively and, and always kind of incrementally building those 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 solutions out and, and releasing them is important. So I think, you know, I think the, the team, the team skill set, even when you have software engineers doing working with their data scientists, it, it is a specialized type of software engineer that that you need that is, needs to be familiar with the tools and, and, the, and the different type, types of techniques and design to actually implement these solutions. So it's it's an area that I definitely would not recommend that you spend too much time in just a, a prototyping and kind of theoretical phase that you should be kind of actively building these systems and and have a have a plan on how you're actually going to get them into a production environment early on. And it sounds like a situation where, like Harry was saying, if, if it's a larger company, that, that takes a lot of investment to get that up and running. And there are options out there to, uh, for either smaller companies or companies that want to take the expertise and, and platforms people have already built and integrate that within their systems. So let's introduce one of those solutions here today, Avatria Convert. Obviously, Harry and Zach, you guys are, uh, are the founders of this product and and can you just go into a little bit of, of why you guys started Convert, why it exists, why it's unique on the market today, and how it can help those businesses who are trying to enter the machine learning space for their, their application and uh, what, that, what that looks like with the interactions with their business? Yeah, to start, Convert is a machine learning tool that uses shopping data to optimize recommendations on search results and category pages. So it takes analytics data and feeds it into our machine learning models, which then can generate rankings to apply back to e-commerce websites and uh, display the optimal product sequence to guarantee increases in conversion rate. You know, the reason that we decided to to build Convert in the first place is, you know, just having a lot of experience within the e-commerce space and, and working with a lot of different e-commerce retailers, one of the things that stuck out to us was that product findability was always an issue that retailers and other uh, e-commerce sites faced, and there was never a good solution that kind of got the the merchant or the customer to where they wanted to be uh, 100%. So a lot of the time there were workarounds, there were adjustments or modifications that could be made, but there was no real solution that that handle the core of the problem. And so Convert is kind of at its heart built to handle that use case where if you have a lot of products on your website and um, you know you have customers coming and they're searching and they're sorting and they're filtering, but they're still not able to find what they're looking for. And you see that you have a, you have a higher bounce rate from those pages or you see that you have a low conversion rate because people are not finding the products they want. That is what Convert is built to solve. And the way that it solves that is doing a lot of the things that we have been talking about today, where we're looking at shopping behavior data. Uh, we're looking at what the customer is doing on the site, and we're using machine learning to help us identify and analyze the, the trends and features that are important to these customers that come to your site. Um, and so ultimately what happens is we can then recommend and provide a more optimized way to rank products when customers are looking at a, a list 
whether that's when they're looking at a category page or the search results page, you know, based on the analysis that our machine learning model is able to do, we can tell the customer how to display products to boost findability. And then ultimately, you know, that will also lead to boosting the conversion rate on the site as well. One of the things that we talked about earlier was around data cleanliness um, and quality. How does Convert address that issue where you might have a, a customer that has hundreds of thousands, if not millions of products, and um, there's a high level of incompleteness in their product attributes, for example. How does Convert uh, work with that kind of data and address that issue? Yeah, I think that's, you know, from a differentiator standpoint, I think that's one of the things that, that does set us apart is that even if you don't have very clean product data or you're missing specific attributes in, in terms of what's in the product catalog, that has that does not have a very significant impact on the way that we surface our recommendations. Because again, we're focused more on shopper behavior and how customers are actually interacting with the products that are on the website. So we care less about, you know, what is the product description text for each product. And we care more about things like are customers clicking on this product? You know, are they uh, adding this to their cart? How long are they spending on the product detail page? Are there specific patterns that we can analyze in terms of the brands that tend to be popular from a product view standpoint. And so those types of behavior data points are things um, that we can very easily collect that don't require extensive data cleansing operations. And that allows us to kind of increase and speed up time to value when we talk about delivering these recommendations and improving conversion rate. And can you talk a little bit just quickly about kind of the different sizes of companies? So how does Convert kind of ensure that it's able to support those different sized companies that, that want to integrate machine learning in their application? Yeah, so, you know, I think like we've been talking about, data is a big factor here. So um, we do, uh, one of the things that we look at is a metric called sessions per month. So we look to see how much traffic is this site getting from a sessions per month standpoint? Because that gives us a good indicator of how much data we'll be able to have to pass into our models, you know, which will then subsequently impact the accuracy of their rankings. And so while we currently do have customers across the spectrum from small sort of Shopify-based sites all the way up to um, you know, SAP Commerce-focused customers, um, the data that we are able to ingest is a is a important factor, and so I think you know that's going to be the case whether it's this machine learning tool or any other one. There needs to be enough data to be able to provide these recommendations. Um, so generally, as long as the the site you know gets around fifty thousand sessions a month or above, we we feel like we'll have enough data where we can make accurate and, and meaningful recommendations. We have worked with sites that have less than that, and that doesn't mean that the product is not valuable to them. It just means it takes a little bit longer for that data to collect before we can provide those rankings back. All right. Well, thanks, Zach and Harry, for coming on the podcast today to talk a little bit about machine learning in e-commerce. Where can we find more information about Convert? Uh, you can go to convert.avatria.com. Perfect. Well, thanks again for you two joining. Uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. For us. Thanks for listening to Skewed. 
We'd love to hear from you with any questions or feedback you have. Feel free to email us. Our email address is hello at skewedpodcast.com. That's hello at S-K-U-E-D podcast.com. Subscribe to Skewed wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>